What's idolatry? Well, many claim it's the worship of an object representing some deity. But is that the only definition we can use? We'll hop aboard the Bible bus and see what our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, has to say today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you to another great study in God's Word. We'll begin in Proverbs 22, verse 28 in just a minute. But first, Through the Bible's president, Greg Harris, is here to escort us out of 2023 with gratitude and praise. Oh, that's a great word picture. And yes, we are going to just take a look back. This is our last weekday uh, program of the year. And on Monday, though, we will be back and we'll be looking forward, talking about exciting things that we believe God has for us in 2024. Yes. So let's let's just do a quick uh, flyover of some highlights of this past year. Well, I think about the program itself. I mean, together we've traveled on the Bible bus through some life-changing books. I think about Romans, First mm. and Second Chronicles, First and Second Corinthians, Minor Prophets and Majors, yes. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Galatians, Psalms, Ephesians, and now Proverbs. I mean, yeah. that's a lot in 12 months. What a year. And perhaps if you've just stumbled upon this program or a podcast on the radio or digitally, that will whet your appetite. We did all of that. The Lord blessed us doing it in a year. We've also added new languages. Um, we've yep. changed out uh, systems of delivery of those languages. We've You and I traveled to different parts of the world together and independently. We saw new home groups started and supported. Just the dynamism of what God does, and we really want to say that. it We're just following God. As you said one time in one of these dialogues, we just like buckle up and yeah. hold on. Yep. And yep. God did a lot this year globally. Yeah. And I also like the new tools that our very creative staff has come up with. Yes, uh, for they the are TTB wonderful. family to share. Yeah. For instance, one of one of the passions of my heart that I think we're going to expand in the in the next coming years, uh, in 2024, certainly are the Bible companions. Yes, yeah. using that as a tool for small groups in the U.S. and Canada. Also, our Bible bus passes. What a great wow. way! Yeah, so to great. share the ministry quickly. QR code on the back. Have a couple in your wallet. They're the size of a business card. You can't beat that. Yeah. And it's, it's about the lowest conflict form of sharing your faith or sharing the ministry yeah. through the Bible. Just say, this has really meant a lot to me. I mean, it could be as simple as that, or you could tell your testimony and then give it to your uh, person that you're talking to. Yeah. yeah. Also contextualize Bible apps, which oh, we've yeah. just kind of planted yeah. out there yep. and see what happens. And yep. boom, people are grabbing them. We'll have to explain what those are a yes. little bit later, yes. but they have literally gone viral throughout the world. That's and right. it's so exciting to see. And we're cranking out more in 2024. Yes. Now, I, I don't think we want to escort the year out without hearing one, at least one great story. I think we're short on time. So can we go to this response from West Bengal? Yeah, let me read it quickly. I didn't know anything about Christianity. I've been watching the Jeevan Bani program for a week on my television, and I'm assuming that that's, that's the Bengali television. Yes. Perfect. TTV. Through this program, I heard about Jesus Christ for the first time. I want to know more about him. Currently, my life is without direction. I have many problems and believe that Jesus may solve them. Pray that I may find direction in life through Jesus Christ. Fantastic. Man. Fantastic. Greg, it, it's such an encouragement. <laughs> Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, we bow in humble worship and adoration that you not only saved us, but you are saving many others through our humble efforts, and we thank you for that. Thank you for a wonderful year in 2023, and bless us as we move into 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're off to Proverbs 22 and 23 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we come back to the 23rd chapter, but 
I rushed through the 22nd chapter, just hitting high points. Well, I just want to hit one more high point, and then I'm going to bounce right out of it into the 23rd chapter, and we'll move along there. But back in verse 28 of the 22nd chapter, I read, "...remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set." Now, when God put these people in the land, why, he gave not only to the nation Israel that land over there, but we sometimes forget that he gave to each tribe a particular section in that land. And he gave to each family in each tribe a particular parcel of land. And they were to put up certain boundary markers. They were generally stones, boundary markers. Down in front of my house, in the sidewalk, there's a little brass circle at one end of my lot and a little brass circle at the other end of the lot so that you know where it begins and where it ends. And I have a notion that that was put there way back when that was an avocado grove. And it was put there when the subdivision was made. And it was done to just make sure I stayed within my lot. Now, God made this statement concerning each parcel of land. In Deuteronomy 19:14. he says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. You see that a man might, when no one's looking, and maybe his neighbor's getting old and his eyesight failing, he just slips that stone over a couple of feet, and he gets two more feet in his parcel of land. And now God says that that is not to be done. Of course, it would be totally dishonest. Now, we have a wonderful spiritual application of this, and you will know that I'm a real square when I say what I'm going to say now. I believe that we have seen the great landmarks of the Christian faith removed. And it's been removed by what was called once modernism. It's called liberalism today. And because of a liberal viewpoint, they say, well, now this old landmark, this doctrine that was taught in the days of Paul, it's not relevant. And we are very smart. We are very clever people. We've learned so much. So we don't need the doctrine of the plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. We can do away with that. And we will do away with the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Now, the distinguishing doctrines of the Christian faith have been pretty well washed out by a great many of the old line denominations on the basis that we must come up to date. Now, I want to say this. Instead of moving forward and removing landmarks, we need to start moving backward and get back to a lot of the old ancient landmarks. You see, those ancient landmarks made this nation great that you and I live in. They've been removed, not on the land. Maybe removed there, I don't know, but I think they do a pretty good job of marking out the particular parcels of ground. But certainly today, the great landmarks, the moral values, the spiritual truths, the Bible basis, all of that's been removed. And all you have to do is look around you today. And you just hear everyone on every side telling what he thinks 
the solution is. And he always comes up with a sociological or a psychological solution. No one comes up, apparently, at least the television I listen to, they never come up with a biblical solution. I say we need to get back to the good old landmarks that we had at the beginning. And that'll let you know the direction that you're going. And then this chapter closed with a very wonderful word commending the man that's diligent. Seest thou a man diligent in his work? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. In other words, God says that he will reward and intends to reward the man that is diligent. You remember the thing the Lord Jesus commended and will command men for in eternity is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been diligent. It won't be the amount of work you've done. It won't be the number of people that you've spoken to. It won't be how hard you've worked. But how faithful have you been to what God has called you to do? And it may be a mother to her, just a little boy in the home. She's faithful to it. Moses' mother was that way, and she's been rewarded for it, been put in the Word of God. And we find that that's the thing God will reward them for. A man being found faithful, that is the thing that is important for us to see. And you remember that Paul put it like this, We always read it, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let me give you that whole passage and probably a better translation. That is, it brings out the meaning. As to your brotherly love, have family affection one to another, for your code of honor, deferring to one another. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow or fervent with the Spirit, serving the Lord. It all adds up to being faithful to God. And that's what we should be. Now we come to chapter 23. And the young man is getting ready to graduate from college, from the School of Wisdom. And I think that we'll have a graduation ceremony when we get over to the end of chapter 24. But now here in chapter 23 that we come to, we have this word given in the first three verses. When thou sittest to eat with the ruler, consider well who is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Well, I can put it in very commonplace language. Don't make a pig of yourself when you're invited out to eat. And especially if you're invited in a place and you find out that there's put before you gourmet food and the type you're not accustomed to eat, well, don't make a little pig of yourself. In fact, it would be better, he says, that you cut your throat rather than to make a pig of yourself. In other words, be temperate in all things. Use moderation self-control even when you eat. And they found out, at least they say they have, that this compulsion to eat on the part of some folk is not real hunger, but it's a psychological factor. A man under great tension, a man that's uptight. In other words, when you go to meal, be relaxed and enjoy it, but don't make a pig of yourself. That is the whole thought there. Now, verse 4 and 5, this is all very practical. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? 
For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And you probably notice that there is an eagle on our dollar. And believe me, that eagle will take off if you're not very careful and fly away. And I find out on my dollars that that eagle takes off all the time. But you can't depend on riches. And the whole thought here is this. There's nothing wrong in being rich. And there's nothing wrong in working to be rich. But don't make that the goal of life. Don't make wealth the very object of your heart. Some men just have a lust, a thirst, it's covetousness, just to want to make the almighty dollar. And that is their God. Now, he says you're not to do that as a child of God. I had many years ago in a church I served back east a man that was a wealthy man. And he always put it like this. He said, I do not make money for the sake of money. I make money for what it can do. And he says, and I make it now. I didn't at first. I made it at first for what it could do for me. Now, he says, I make it for what it can do for God. Now, actually, there was nothing wrong in making it to do for himself in those early days because there's nothing wrong in a man becoming wealthy. The thing is that when that becomes the overweening desire of the heart, and that's covetousness, and actually that's modern idolatry. And on Sunday, you don't find many people worshiping idols. But here in Southern California, on Monday morning, these freeways fill up with men and women. On the way to work, they worship the almighty dollar, and they are out after. I had a church in downtown Los Angeles in the financial district. And there were certain men, in fact, there were certain Christian men. They were more zealous in coming down on Monday morning and watch that stock market open than they were Sunday morning in coming to church. In fact, I met a man one time. I hadn't seen him in church in several weeks. And Monday morning, he was on the way down to a broker to where they stock markets on display. And he met me. He was very cordial. He told me what he's going to do. And I said, well, we've been missing you at church. He said, well, you know, I haven't felt well. Well, that's interesting. He didn't feel well enough to come to church. But his God, really, the one he worshipped, he was able to worship that one. That's covetousness. And that's what he's talking about here. And that's a false God because that false God's an eagle. It'll fly away any time. And you'll never see that again. Now we have here, and this is good advice, I would say it especially to a young preacher, verse 6, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart's not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up, and thou wilt have wasted thy sweet words. Now, I have been warned on several occasions by ministers that I go and have a conference with them. They say to me, now, do you want to go out for dinner? Well, my rule now is, no, I'd much rather to have the time that I have, have it to myself or if I have personal friends. And then sometimes the preacher will say, now, you will be invited to dinner by so-and-so, but you be very careful if you go there what you say because they are name droppers, as you will find out. And what they want to know, they're going to ask you, they will, they always do certain questions. And they will use that 
actually against you later on. You make some statement, and when you go to have dinner with a person, you assume that person is your very close friend and that you are being entertained because they love you. And you are relaxed at the meal, and you talk. And I do a great deal of that, you know. And sometimes you say something that can be misconstrued. And I had that unhappy experience not too long ago. And I found out that that couple used certain things that I said about a very personal friend of mine. And actually, I was kidding because I loved a brother. In fact, he and I played golf together. And he said to me, what was you said about me? And I told him what I said. And he laughed. I mean, he says, but you know, he said, they gave it a little twist. But he says, you know, I went over to see them and I discovered that what I said about you will be coming back to you. And do you know it did? He kids me too, you know. And so he made some statement and kidding and my, they have twisted it. And actually, I would warn anyone about that type of thing. That's what Solomon says. When you have an invitation for dinner, make sure who you're going out with because it may not be as cordial as you think it is. Now, we have again this remark about the old landmark. Be very careful about it. And here it's for the sake of the children that are coming along. If you've lost your faith, well, you better not pass that on to your children because they'll really pay for it. You had a good background. And with you, they wouldn't have a good background at all and nothing to protect them. And my feeling is, as Dr. Machen once said, he said, America is coasting downhill on a godly ancestry. Now, we saw that crowd. That was my crowd. We had a godly ancestry. Now, my generation didn't give that to their children. And as a result, it's my generation that came along and produce this generation today that we're blaming for everything. Actually, I think we're the ones. We were coasting downhill on a godly ancestry, and these kids just don't have that godly ancestry, and God have mercy on them because of it. Now, let's move on, because we're talking about this thing. He says, "...withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die." And we've been over that before, and I'd remind you again that Paul adds to that, that when the parent is correcting the child, that you don't do it when you've lost your temper. You don't do it when you're angry. And remember, you are disciplining the child. You're not punishing the child. It has to be discipline for the child. It's no good. It's not punishment. I think the whole thought's been wrong to say to the child, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to discipline you, you see. That's the thing. And that's what Paul says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, or the, actually the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the thing that is important. Now, he goes on to talk to the young man again, verse 19, Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thy heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunken and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Be careful of the company you keep. Birds of a feather flock together. And evil companions, they do something about what produce evil manners, do they not? And that's what he's warning against here. 
And again, he comes back to this. The boy's ready to graduate from college. And he says, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she's old. Verse 22. Now your parents are getting old. And your father may be a squire, and he may be getting senile. But my friend, he has lots more sense than you've got. And if you want to know the example of that, if you could only talk to Absalom today, he'd tell you that his dad had more sense than he had. He thought he could rebel against David. Oh, David was a war horse. When that boy moved out to the battlefield, he made a mistake. He should never have left Jerusalem because David knew his way around on the battlefield. <laughs> and it was fatal for that boy. He would have done well to listen to his father although David was not really a good father. But he could sure advise that boy about the battlefield. Now, verse 23, buy the truth, sell it not. And you deny today, don't have to buy. Come and buy without money and without price. Buy wine and buy milk and buy water and buy wisdom, by the way. And Christ is all of that for the child of God today. I tell you, this is quite wonderful. It was a brilliant young man. I wish he was here to tell you. But he did tell us, did he not? And that was Paul. He was Rabbi Saul, you remember. Smart boy. <laughs> but he says, Christ has been made unto us wisdom. How wonderful. And then verse 26, My son, give me thy heart, and let thine eyes delight in my ways. I know somebody's going to say now, Dr. McGee, I've heard you say that God doesn't want your old, dirty, and filthy heart. I still say that, but it says, You're my son, give me thy heart. He's not talking to the unsaved man. He's talking to his son, talking to one who's been born again, got a new nature. Now he says to the boy, Now I want you to come to me, and I want you to yield yourself to me. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. Now if you're in love with him, now he says, Give me your heart. If you're not, why, forget it. I think that would be his word. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and now if you have been, you can say, Take my poor heart and let it be forever closed to all but thee. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Now, then in verse 27 and 28, For a harlot is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. Now, if there's anyone that thought that I was wrong about saying the stranger was a harlot then here we have the two made synonymous, and that would answer that question. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. And there are two men that are evidence of that. Judah, back in the book of Genesis. Man, that's a sorry chapter that tells his story when he went into a harlot. And then Samson, you remember. If he could be here today, he said, I tell you, I found out that a harlot can give a pretty good haircut. And that's what happened to him. Now, verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath anxiety? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Now, again, we have this warning against this matter of wine. And now we've had the word against wine, women, but there's no song, because at the last it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder, 
Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the heart of the sea, or as one that lieth upon the top of a mask. May I say that this is a warning against wine women, and there'll be no song. What a tremendous proverb. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Join us next time as we begin the new year in Proverbs 24. And if we don't speak before then, Happy New Year. And if you'd like to make a tax-deductible gift to Through the Bible before the end of 2023, then you can give online at ttb.org forward slash give. Or if you send your letter, just make sure it's postmarked with the check dated by December 31st, and you can mail that check to Box 7100. Pasadena, California, 91109. If you listen in Canada and you want to mail a check, you can write it to Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. And you can also call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, grateful for your prayer and financial partnership as together we take God's whole word to his whole world. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.